Hey guys, welcome to Gameplay Radio here on Radio Free Brooklyn. I am your host, Erin, uh, here with a very, very exciting guest, uh, Risa Puno. Say hi. 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 Uh, thank you so much for being here. Oh, yeah. Thank you yeah. so much for having me. I'm really excited. Yeah, um, I'm very excited about this, too. Uh, Risa is a New York City-based interactive installation and sculpture artist uh, whose primary form of, obviously, it's interactive art, but it's a lot of, it's very, from what I've seen from, like, descriptions we've of conversations we've had and also descriptions, like, on your website and things, is that it sounds like it's a lot of art that tries to encourage, um, like, kind of storytelling and emotional investment in a way. Um, so I'm very excited that uh, you're here today. Uh, does that sound right to you? Anything else sure. about your art that really drives you? Um, sure, absolutely. Um, well, I, I do mostly make public artwork, and mm-hmm. a lot of my work is inspired by games. Like, I've made a nine-hole miniature golf course called The Course of Emotions that presents emotional obstacles that you have to overcome. Or That's amazing. I made, <laughs> it was fun. Um, and then last year, I... Um, uh, was chosen by Creative Time to make um, my project The Privilege of Escape, which was an escape room designed to address social privilege and systemic inequity. So, you know, keeping it light. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and so I like to take things that can be somewhat difficult topics and to put them in sort of a disarmingly playful format that makes it easier to connect with them for people and helps give a point of access. Mm. That sounds, I mean, absolutely fantastic. Uh, but what, and uh, makes it especially interesting and exciting for me because what you've been working on recently has been an, a role-playing game, an RPG. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is um, in collaboration with a friend. He, he was actually, I met him uh, mm-hmm. when we were working on The Privilege of Escape. He was the lighting designer, Avi Dobkin. Hey, mm-hmm. Avi. <laughs> and he is a, Hi, <laughs> he's a long time D&D enthusiast. And so uh, during that process, he invited me to join his table. Um, mm. I had never played D&D or any RPG for that matter. And so I was super excited because it's something I've, I've always been curious about. Um, it just didn't seem that accessible to me. Um, and so I was, I was really excited to be part of his game. And um, we had talked about making a one shot for forever now um okay fine forever like a couple months now <laughs> but um <laughs> what feels like forever right now right exactly yeah. and that's the thing and so when um when everybody went into quarantine um we were just we started talking about it again and we started thinking about well how do we write an adventure that speaks to the challenges we're facing now um and so we we set out to do a thing where it's still set in fantasy so that it feels safe enough where people can still have fun, but mm-hmm. it deals with issues of guardianship, safety, access, um, making hard choices. And so that's what we wanted to make. <laughs> that's very exciting. Um, oh, and, and it was really exciting because um, yeah. uh, Onassis USA um, uh-huh. ended up commissioning it from us. Um, they're an awesome. amazing arts organization. They hosted The Privilege of Escape. And so um, it's actually available live on their website now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go uh, check it out. What's that website? Um, their website is onassis.org, and it's within the Enter program. So Onassis, O-N-A-S-S-I-S. Yes. Right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, definitely go check that out. Um, 
but this is actually, so what was the experience like? I mean, so you had just learned about Dungeons and Dragons in the first place. What was your experience trying to create an RPG for this world that you've like just met for the first time? I mean, it was definitely tricky. Uh, I think one, because my my artwork doesn't have a whole lot of narrative or any narrative really built into it. It's more that I set up sort of circumstances um, to, to help people have a certain experience. Um, in The Privilege of Escape, that was the first time we I've ever worked on like writing a script or anything like that um, with some amazing people. And, um, and so this has been a totally new way of thinking about it. Like the way I used to think about work was what experience do I want to give people? But with RPGs, it's so much about the choices that people make. So I've had to think about like, what opportunities do we want to give people so that they can make their own choices? And I think that's something I was really excited about with this medium because, Mm. um, you know, when people have the power to make decisions that change how the story unfolds, there's something really exciting about that. And it feels like people can take ownership over their own experiences. And I think giving people that sense of agency during a time where I think a lot of us feel like our fate is sort of beyond our control um, was something that we really, really wanted to preserve with this. Um, It it was also tricky because we'd originally thought of it as like a D&D adventure, um, but when Onassis decided to uh, commission it, we realized that it would be for a much wider audience. And so we, uh, mm-hmm. you know, D&D can be kind of intimidating to learn, uh, you know, like with a handbook of like 350 there, pages. Yeah, <laughs> there are a lot of rules, that's true, and it takes a very long time to set up your character for the first time, so. Sure, yeah, totally and that. so for people that, you know, I mean, it took me weeks to make my first D&D character, mm-hmm. um, and so our game right now takes about like 45 minutes, maybe an hour for the, for the narrator to do it. But for uh, like a character, it takes like 15 minutes to onboard. So yeah, we felt pretty good about, um, about being able to get it down to something more simple, but it was, it was tough to figure out how to, what mechanics were sort of the, the baseline things that you definitely don't want to get rid of. Right. Um, like we, we based it on the D20 system because um, it was still important that there was the um, possibility for failure um, in the game. And so that's, that's what the dice do. It's like players get to make their choice, but the dice decide whether or not they're successful. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to kind of, cause people, people can sit around and tell a story, but it's interesting to kind of have a level of chance to it as well. I feel like that's, kind of why it's exciting because you can't just declare and I do this thing and it goes well you have to like really kind of leave it up to a sense of um you know I want this to happen but is it going to happen I'm not sure like I'll put forth my best effort but maybe it will or won't happen and that's definitely now that I'm thinking about it a lot of like what life is too (laughs) (laughs) absolutely and I think it's it makes it interesting for both the characters and for the narrator because neither of them know what's going to happen and they both have to adapt to however the dice roll and so it's right I mean I think that's something that um that collective storytelling experience is something that has been a really interesting part to explore through this through this medium and this world and to like read like oh man like on reddit uh, like the people (laughs) talking about 
the things they've done in their games and the things that they remember the most, I feel like um, that's, that's been really interesting to learn about as well. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, definitely a lot of interesting stories. But we also, um, we talked a little bit when uh, we originally connected about how, um, it kind of how it feels to like create something that you don't get to see a direct like a direct effect of in a way uh which i thought was really interesting the idea that um as an artist especially an artist where the installations that you create are in like a specific place where everyone gathers together in one location to experience it at one time um it's a very different experience to create something that people take with them and interact with like on their own time as well um how do you feel about like kind of navigating that sort of process where it's much more like of a giving process with what you're creating i mean i think that uh it does it's a little trickier to make work what feels like it's making work in a vacuum right i mean i guess mm -hmm. people who make you know rpgs have this experience all the time um but for me uh the whole like you know if a tree falls in a forest, like, and nobody's around to hear it, does it yeah. make a sound? And it's like, my work does not make a sound unless anybody's around to hear it, because <laughs> I don't consider it done until people are using it, right? And that's mm -hmm. my favorite thing to do, is watch people use it. Like, for The Privilege of Escape, I watched over 3,000 people play that room. So um, many people. It was, And it was yeah. fascinating, because it's different every time. And I think seeing that with people or even like visiting sculptures that I leave in parks or something like that, getting to visit and see how people do it. I mean, there's sometimes where I've had this um, interconnected picnic table installation that people are still eating lunch on it when we're deinstalling it. Like we have like our impact drivers really? out and it's noisy and we're literally taking it apart, but people are still eating lunch on it, <laughs> which is um, really exciting to me because that means they, yeah, they so really cute. like, yeah, you know, it, it means it became a part of their everyday lives, which I think is my favorite thing about making public artwork. Mm. And, um, and so it's, I wish that I could see how this is. I mean, uh, yeah. luckily, our our uh, very generous playtesters have have let me and Avi like do zooms with them, so we could like see their expressions and faces, even when you know they're narrating to each other. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's been it's been a totally wild ride, and I'm super super thankful to have Avi's support on this because he's like he knows he knows all the things. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope that it's the start of uh, many more games for you uh, as someone. <laughs> Welcome to the community. Thank you. Me too. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit more about the game that we're going to be playing today. Obviously, we'll get into it um, in a couple of minutes. But uh, why don't you tell me a little bit more about like um, what the game is, uh, how it functions, because... What's interesting, what I find interesting is that what we're going to be playing today is just a part one of like a two-part game. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, the name of the game yeah. is The Quiet. And um, yeah, so in it's a two-part game um, that's basically, it's kind of like a movie in its sequel, right? And so in part one, the narrator plays with each character one-on-one -on -one, um, in, in separate sessions. Mm -hmm. And then um, if you get what you're supposed to be getting in part one, then you can advance to part two. And so that's when all of the, the players get together virtually and, um, and play in more traditionally like in a group. 
Um, yeah. and yeah. And so it's, uh, it's, it's a little funny that way, but, uh, so what we have right now is just part one. So it's the one-on-one, -on -one, uh, session. So if you are the narrator and you learn it, you can run it for a bunch of people, however many you want, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I'm really curious about what's in part one, because I'm so for this session, I'm going to be playing one of the players and you're going to be narrating because I thought that uh, since you are the creator of this game, it'd be very exciting to have you kind of as a guide through this experience. Um, and I'm very curious to see like what this involves and like, I'm also curious to see what this means for the game when it becomes a whole group game, but um, mm -hmm. that is not technically out yet but it will mm -hmm. be. Right? It will be. We're working on it right now. Right now it. we're working through, um, we're working through some of the mechanics of the game. Like mm -hmm. I feel like in part one, we learned a lot about how to like sort of drive emotional goals. And so we're trying to figure out how, what we learned for part one is going to change um, based on group dynamics. Right. And so okay. we're running a lot of our play testers through like rando scenarios Sure. And we're going to layer, layer some narrative on top. <laughs> cool. So when can people expect the second part to be out? Uh, we're hoping July. July? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So hopefully people who are listening will be able to uh, check in on that and uh, keep an eye out for that as well. But I, um, in the meantime, why don't we give them a bit of a demonstration of what they can expect if they're going to be playing part one? Yeah? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, uh, I'm going to do a quick on-air read um, for the Radio Free Brooklyn station, and then we can get into that. Cool. Friends, COVID-19 is disrupting everyone's lives right now, and Radio Free Brooklyn is no exception. We want you to know that we have made every effort to ensure the health and well-being of our hosts, staff, and the community at large. We've closed both our studios and canceled live events, but our hosts are still doing their best to continue bringing new original programming by broadcasting live and pre-recording from their home studios, or by selecting the best rebroadcasts of their past shows. With most of our revenue streams evaporated, we need your help. We realize you may be hurting too, but if you can afford a small donation, it would go a long way toward helping us stay on air. There are three ways you can help. First, you can give a one-time or monthly donation by going to radiofreebrooklyn.org donate. There, you'll find some great t-shirts, mugs, and other swag that we'd like to send you to say thanks. You can also use your phone to text RFBGIVE5, that's the number five, to 44321. It only takes a moment and you'll be able to use your digital wallet for your donation. Finally, if you shop at Amazon, you can go to amazon.com slash smile and register Radio Free Brooklyn as the nonprofit you wish to support. When you do, a percentage of your sales will go to Radio Free Brooklyn and it will cost you nothing. No donation is too big or too small. Whatever you can afford will make a huge difference. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts and wish all of our listeners health and happiness as we weather the storm together. All right. So there's, there's your little announcement for Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, I think it's now time to get back into a little bit of gameplay. Cool. Um, so uh, if yeah. you want to introduce the character you'll be playing, we can okay, great. do that real fast. Yes, I would be happy to. So uh, it's actually pretty easy for me to do this because um, <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. I am going to be playing um, a carpenter and uh, I have named her Katrin Lysander. So it looks like that she is um, most capable in physical skills and also has some, uh, you know, carpenter-related special equipment available to her as she goes on whatever journey she's about to go on. 
<laughs> cool. All right. Um, so um, I'll start with the intro. Yeah. Um, and then, um, by the way, do you also have the, uh, you have the character sheet with the letter at the end? Yes, I do. Okay, cool. All right, here we go. <laughs> um, the quiet is always with us. It lingers in the background of our lives, ever on the lookout for an opportunity to expand. Like some insidious growth, its roots are deep within us, feeding on our fears and bolstering our faults, always forcing us apart when we need to come together. And when all are suffering under a global weight, when it can hurt us the most, the quiet feasts, basking in our suffering and gorging on our pain. The quiet last emerged a century ago, while a mysterious plague swept across the land, killing many in its wake. We cloistered ourselves away, fearing each other as much as we feared affliction. We became hollow, and the bonds of community weakened and broke. In the spaces left behind grew the quiet. A dense fog of uncertainty swirled through empty streets, where the cacophony of life had once rung out, only panicked murmurs remained. Petrified by the outbreak, the world succumbed to the quiet. We watched as all around us people fell ill. Those skilled few that could fight were run ragged as they did battle without sword or shield, valiantly defending all who came in contact with the disease. Meanwhile, the rest of us sat with folded hands waiting for news of victory or despair. Hopeless and helpless, we lost all sense of time. Meanwhile, the quiet flourished. Some thought what we needed were answers, but in the absence of truth, we filled the air with misinformation, distraction, and lies. Others thought what we needed was stillness, but in the absence of peace, we turned to denial, indifference, and fear. But a few realized that neither noise nor silence would defeat the quiet. We needed a place to listen and a way to support. And so rose the keepers, Ordinary people who banded together out of necessity, out of desperation, out of duty. Together, they created the Forum, a way to connect and communicate. It became a space for collaboration, born from collaboration. And as we learned how to respect each other, the quiet's grip weakened. As we committed ourselves to compassion, the quiet receded. And as we listened to each other, we began to fill the cracks the quiet came through. And so, we declared victory. Yet, while the realm celebrated, the wise keepers knew that the quiet had not been vanquished. They knew that it continued to live deep in our hearts and would rise again the next time we faced an unperceivable threat. So, in order to preserve access to the forum, they created powerful devices, and every village was given a golden box containing one precious device, a safeguard for when the quiet returned. And now, that time is upon us. 100 years later, we are again fractured and disconnected. But today, the keepers live only in legend and the locations of their powerful devices have long been since forgotten, or so we thought. A few days ago, you were woken up by a knock and a letter slipped under your door bearing an unfamiliar crest, a dark square set inside a circle. You break the seal with your finger and unfold the letter. It reads, I'll read that, sure. <laughs> uh, to a kindred spirit. I am writing to you on behalf of the keepers. 
we are calling on you to join us in vanquishing the quiet. 100 years ago, we entrusted each village with a golden box containing a powerful device. Your village, like several others, chose to hide its box in its most protected place, the sacred garden where your healers cultivate the many medic medicinal plants and herbs that the village relies upon. A relic of the past, the box sits on a stone pedestal that has been overlooked and unremembered, but we trust that it has remained safe there for the past century. Now that the quiet has returned, we are asking one person from every village to find their device and join us. We have seen how much you care for your mother, how, after she came home sick from treating those in need, you have diligently administered the medicinal herbs she needs to, to live. We admire your devotion to her, as well as the respect for the healing power of the plants that she has passed on to you. It is that reverence you hold for all life that we find most worthy. If you decide to join us, you must go to the cavern that houses the medicinal garden and recover the device. When you have it in hand, you will be given further instructions for how to connect. We do not take this request lightly. As you are aware, the tunnels that lead to the garden are fraught with perils designed to, as protections from those who would do damage to the life-giving plants within. And of course, it will be difficult to leave your mother in someone else's care. However, when society is in danger, able individuals must be willing to take on additional responsibility. We look forward to fighting alongside you should you accept this duty. Your mother, your village, and the world are counting on you. Yours in support, one of many. Uh, so the next day, you pack a backpack with a few belongings that you think might be useful. You've never undertaken anything like this before, and you have no idea what lies before you. But you do your best with what you have. After saying goodbye to your mother for what you hope isn't the last time, you head out into the wilderness. The cavern with the medicinal garden is less than a day's journey from your home. You make the trek easily and are in good spirits when you get to the familiar section of woods. You round the final bend, expecting to see the cavern entrance, but instead you see a clump of gnarled vines growing bright yellow flowers. Would you like to investigate them more closely? I would like to investigate them more closely. I'd like to take a look at those flowers. Cool. So stepping up to the dense patchwork of vines, you see that they cling tightly to the rocks surrounding the opening on the cavern. Their puffy yellow flowers are completely obscuring your view of the tunnel beyond. It is curious how closely they are intertwined, considering there are no other nearby plants in competition for water or light. You don't recognize the plants exactly, but you can tell that this growth is fairly new. You suspect that they've been here for less than a month and probably grew because no one has been by to clear them. Hmm. Um, do they seem poisonous in any way? Uh, please roll for mental success. Okay. Not my strong suit, but we'll give it a try. <laughs> I rolled a 10. Okay. So you look at them and you don't, you know, you don't know what the type is, um, but you've seen vines with flowers like this before and you feel pretty confident that, uh, they're not poisonous to touch. You don't know what would happen if you tried to eat them. Okay. Um, not poisonous to touch. In that case, I would like to try to move them. Is, is it possible? Do they look like they could be capable to be just pushed aside or do they need a little bit more force? 
Uh, you're not sure. They're pretty tightly woven, but they're not like super thick. Um, I will. I have. It looks like I have a chisel. I'm gonna try to use that as kind of a bit of leverage to kind of move them out of the way. Okay. So as you get closer to the vines with your chisel, your wrist brushes against the fuzzy petals of one of the yellow flowers. Oh boy. You hear a faint puff as the entire flower head explodes in a cloud of yellow pollen. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly, the rest of the bright flowers begin bursting in a dusty chain reaction. Okay. And you find yourself covered head to toe in yellow pollen. Uh, uh, I take water from my canteen and I try to pour it over my head to get the the pollen off. Okay, uh so like how much of your water do you want to use? Um just I don't know, maybe a fourth of my water. Okay, so a fourth of your water you get um you can pour it like on your head and maybe your shoulders, but you don't get the rest of you. Okay, and okay. um the pollen uh sort of makes a sort of pasty type uh thing. It doesn't come off, but ah. Um, it doesn't really feel any different other than now having wet hair. Okay, great. So I have a damp head. Um, and But nothing else is happening. Mm -mm. I'm just covered in pollen. You're just covered in pollen. Okay, well, if nothing is happening, I'm just covered in pollen. I'm just going to kind of brush some of it or whatever and then keep moving, I guess. I'll keep trying to move the plants out of the way. Cool. Um, so... Uh, please roll for physical success. Okay, I can add two to my physical success. <laughs> Thank goodness, that was an 18 plus two, so 20. Excellent, so you, you brandish your chisel confidently, especially now that there are no more flowers uh, blocking the way and you can see exactly how the vines are intertwined. Great. And your chisel, as a good carpenter, you, you sharpen every day, um, is very sharp and cuts easily through the vines. Um, and so there is you are able to make enough space to get through. Great. I will uh, steal myself for adventure inside and go on in. Cool. So annoyed at yourself for not finding a way to get past the vines without getting coated in yellow pollen, um, <laughs> you look down into the dark cave mouth. You're not usually one to walk into unknown risk, but these days everyone is taking on roles to which they are unaccustomed. Um, would you like to continue into the dark cave? Um, you know, I'm resourceful, but I don't think I've ever, like, done something like this before, so I'll probably light a torch and head in. Cool. So you swallow your uncertainty, ignite your torch, and climb down into the opening. The path downward is steeper than you expected, and you lose your footing a couple of times, sliding on the rocky earth before you regain your balance. You breathe a sigh of relief when the ground starts to flatten out, and you see a faint glow of light ahead. You walk toward the light, and you find yourself in a large interior chamber of the cavern. The air is circulating more freely here, and it is easier to see. Selactites and slagmites are scattered around the edges of the floor and ceiling. On the far left of the chamber, you see a wide passageway covered with an iron grate. To the right of that, you see a polished wooden door with some brass elements. And on the far right, you see a boarded up mine shaft. Hmm. So it's stalactites, stalagmites, and three doors. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else, no sign of other living 
like no footprints, no anything like that that indicate like one door more nope. <laughs> looked at than the others. <laughs> nope. Okay. Um, I'm gonna. I'm going to. I'll go to the, the one of the doors was like a mine a mine shaft, right? Mm-hmm. I'll go to the mine shaft. You walk toward the seemingly abandoned mine shaft, and there are thick boards completely blocking the tunnel. I'll remove them with the back of my hammer. Okay, please roll for physical success. Okay. Uh, that's a 16 plus 2, so 18. Okay, so you um, are able to get the claw of your hammer in between the cracks between the boards. You lo- use your weight for leverage and pry them out of the framing easily. Um, Great. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, after doing that, I'll go in. Okay. Um, so, uh, you step through the entrance and find yourself in another cave tunnel. This one is about 15 feet wide and the light is dim. It extends straight for a bit, then curves to the left so you can't see where it ends. About 30 feet from the entrance, you can see a small hole in the ground. As you move closer, you see that the bowl-like crater is a perfectly round hemisphere and about two feet in diameter. Centered in the bottom of the smooth crater is a flat rock with a small purple crystal resting on top of it. Um, does it look safe to pull the crystal out of the hole? Um, please roll for mental success. Okay. It's a six. <laughs> Okay, so you look, and I mean, you don't hear anything unusual, um, and it's weird that the crater is so smooth, as though somebody had taken, like, a giant ice cream scoop out of the ground, but otherwise, Hmm. everything else looks as you would expect. Interesting. Okay, Uh, can I grab for the crystal? Okay, so as you step closer to the hole in the ground, your foot lands on a section of earth that seems softer than you expected. On your next step, your foot sinks ankle-deep into what feels like thick mud. Oh, no. Alarmed, you instinctively step forward to try to regain your balance, but your other foot starts sinking, too. And as you try to pull your leg out, the suction prevents you from being able to pull it loose. And at the same time, the other leg is pulled down deeper. At this point, you are getting close to knee-deep in liquid sand. Okay, so... (laughs) Great, great. So, but I don't have the crystal. I'm literally just stuck in sand. Yeah, you are yeah. about like five feet from from the crystal. Shoot. Okay. Uh, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to um, I'm gonna tie my rope to my hammer mm-hmm. and try to like sh- throw it to like something and try to like get it like to maybe like hook around like the crystal or something so that I can pull myself up okay, or pull so it towards me, whichever <laughs> works. <laughs> okay. So you're trying to, it's a small crystal. It's like, it can fit in your hand, but you're going to throw your hammer at the crystal. That does sound like a terrible <laughs> idea, doesn't it? Uh, but yeah, I think that's what I'm going to, I don't, okay, no. So I'm not going to throw my hammer at it. I'm just going to try to like lasso it with like the rope. Okay. Um, please roll for physical success. Great, I'm good at that. But I rolled a six, so that's an, that's a eight. <laughs> okay. Great. Um, so um, you uh, you uh, you go for it. You like uh, 
what do you call, what is it called? Swirl the lasso, you know, <laughs> above your head, you know, and um, you go for it uh-huh. and you are able to actually get it around the crystal. However, in that effort, um, you uh, lose your balance and you sink into the liquid sand and overwhelming panic causes you to lose one point of resilience. Shoot. Shoot. And I only have <laughs> 10 of those. Uh, we're also unfortunately running a little low on time, um, but we'll see. We'll see what we can do. Uh, okay. okay so how, I have... how much time? Just so I know, because the the big thing of this game is actually at the end. So I could, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, we're we're kind of running over right now, and oh. I can edit it down. But okay. uh, we should move as as efficiently but still keeping the story as possible sure sure Um, i guess you could edit out the maze you could edit out the whole maze if you want but but you would have to like sort of forfeit your your uh button thing i'll um i'll see what i can do i think i'll maybe i'll try to keep like the essence of it and cut out some of the iterations because the more i think about what that place was that was really cool um (laughs) But yeah, so I'll, I'll, I mean, I can work on it for sure, but okay. um, we should just try to maybe in the next 20 minutes, try to finish it, if that's okay. Is okay, cool. I, I mean, I might then skip some of what's in this tunnel if you decide to move forward, but... That's okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, so, sorry. Um, I'm still stuck in sand, though. Yes, you're stuck in sand. You have your lasso around the crystal. Okay, uh, I'm going to pull the crystal towards me. Okay. Um, so you pull it toward you, and um, it's kind of crazy because you're, you realize that your rope has sort of like gone through the edge of the crater to lasso the crystal as though huh. it's like, um, as though it's also made of liquid sand, the edge of, of the crater. And as okay. you pull the crystal toward you, um, that little like scooped out portion of the ground moves with the crystal. And as you wrap your, uh, you, you reach toward the crystal with your hand crusted in liquid sand. Um, when it gets within one foot of the crystal, all of a sudden it's perfectly clean um, and you're able to hold the crystal. Oh, phew. Okay, great. I'm never letting go of this crystal ever and <laughs> I'm going to keep moving down the tunnel now that I have it in my hands. You're still stuck in, in liquid sand though. Oh, still am? Yeah. Like it's like you're there and your hand, your hand and up to one foot of your forearm are clean, but you're like waist deep in liquid sand. Can I hold it up to the sand? Yeah, as you um, bring it closer to the surface of the sand, you see like that, like sort of perfect crater form around it. It's almost like it's in this protected bubble of clean that the hmm. liquid sand doesn't doesn't get within. But it's small. It's small, it's a uh, two, well, one foot radius, two feet diameter. Uh, what happens if I move it away from where it was? Like, is it just like, does the sand go back where it was before? Or like, can I move it around to try to clear out a space for myself? Um, you can move it around, but the, the bubble stays around where the crystal is. But you can move it um, hmm. to like either side of you. Okay. Um... Like, you're I'm not gonna... too far from the side of the cave tunnel. Right. I suppose I could try to climb the wall. <laughs> Maybe. 
Um, if, if there's a way that I can use it to like move and kind of help forge a path for me to move through the sand, that would be great. Is that possible? Sure. Um, yeah, well, if you move the crystal toward uh, the side of the cave wall, you see that there is um, a little bit of a ledge of firm ground that was um, sort of, that had been covered with a thin layer of liquid sand, but you know where it is now because you have the crystal. Oh, cool. I'll try to move towards that if I can. Okay. Um, and so uh, please roll for physical success. Okay. Uh, so that's a 14 total? A 14. Okay. So, um, <laughs> oh, no. you, um, you move toward it, but, yeah. um, you unfortunately lose your balance and another shock wave of panic runs through you. Oh. No. Lose another one point of resilience and the liquid sand is now up to your armpits. Oh God. Am I going to drown in a sand pit? Um, mm, Okay. Hmm, what should I do? Uh, is the sand... Hmm. Part of me is like, maybe you could just set the sand on fire. But it would probably <laughs> set me on fire as well. It's probably are, not a good idea. There are uh, also... Um, there's some boulders in, like, um, around the edges of the cavern. There are also uh, stalactites uh, overhead. There's stalactites overhead? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Okay. Well, then, still holding onto the crystal, I'm going to use my rope and lasso up to the stalactites and try to make a rope for me to climb up. Okay. Please yeah. roll for physical success. Okay. Please be good. Fuck. Uh, it's a five plus two. <laughs> Seven. Well, um, you, uh, you, um, oh, boy. you, like, swirl the rope around yeah. your head and you are able to hook it onto the stalactite. But again, in that, um, you lost your balance, right? <laughs> um, and you feel heavy suction, um, pulling you even deeper. Your mouth sinks beneath the liquid sand and oh, you no. to keep your nose above its surface. You lose oh, almost all hope as well as two points of resilience. Two points? However, at this point, here. Yeah. It's like you are still holding on to your rope, but it's just feeling really overwhelming and a yeah. little bit hopeless. Um, you decide to give up and accept your all but certain death. But as you stop struggling, you realize that you are no longer being pulled downward. In fact, when you lay back and spread your arms out, you actually start to float upward. <laughs> oh, okay. So, yeah, I do that. Cool. So you're on your back in the liquid sand. You've got your rope that's mm -hmm. attached to the slag tight. You've got the crystal. You know where the that sort of firm ground ledge is on the side. Right. Okay. So using the crystal as like kind of a buoy, can I like swim float my way over to the solid ground? Yeah. Like you're right there. You're right Great. there with it. Yeah. And so yeah, you can just pull that. yourself up now that you understand the... <laughs> how to not like get your legs deeper in it. Yep, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so you're there. You're, you're now covered in, um, yep. liquid, crusty liquid sand. Um, Ugh. yeah, you've got, a uh, pollen, um, on you as well. Um, and Catherine's a mess. Yeah. You're now, uh, would you like to walk further down the tunnel? Uh, 
God. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. And for the sake of time and yeah. maybe for leaving your listeners some a surprise, I'm going mm-hmm. to skip that part. Yeah. Um, and at the end of the tunnel, you see a wooden door. Great. Another wooden door. Hopefully this one is kinder to me. Uh, okay. I will take a look at the door. All right. So as you open the door and peer into the large chamber, the first thing that strikes you is the color. A sea of green stretches before you. From the dark leafy shrubs along the ground to the pale stalks rising above you, there's a variety in this place that you can scarcely understand. Mm. And yet, you know from your mother that each one of these is precious. Every single plant here has been cultivated to cure a disease or save a life. A silvery, silvery light filters down from somewhere high above, giving the entire space a soothing, almost sacred quality a fitting place to hide and protect a powerful device gifted by the keepers. On the far wall, you see a waterfall faithfully churning the fertile air. Directly in front of the crashing water, you see a pedestal peeking out from the sea of plants, its rigid stone construction standing in stiff contrast to the riot of leaves, fronds, and tendrils surrounding it. On top of it sits a golden box. A box! The device! (laughs) We made it. Okay. Um, do I see anything? So, so does it look like there's anything around it that looks like it's rigged to be a trap of some kind? Any sort of like push, like weighted, like buttons on the ground, anything like that? Any specific like auras around the box? You're still pretty far from it, but mm-hmm. from what you can see, you know, it's sort of it's got um, it's just in front of the waterfall. It looks pretty standard. Um, you're looking through a bunch of plants. Okay. Um, I'm looking through a bunch of plants. Yeah, the entire, this entire chamber is gotcha. full of plants. Uh, do the plants look like they could harm me? I mean, they look like they are thriving. Um, okay. They look lush. They look, the leaves look plump. Um, but, you know. Okay, um, I will try to nicely push the plants aside and um, move into the room. Okay, so as you step over the threshold, you feel a light gust of air on your face. You breathe in its heady, verdant scent, which conjures memories of fresh-cut grass and apples picked at the height of autumn. It smells like life. Looking down at yourself, you notice that even the tenacious yellow pollen on your skin and clothes looks ethereal in the reflected glow of the garden. You gasp in wonder as it starts to radiate gently off of you, stirred by the mystical breeze. Enveloped by this strange yellow aura, you walk forward through the plants, almost afraid to breathe should you disrupt the seemingly glorious miracle of nature. As you walk toward the golden box, you marvel as some of the hovering pollen is caught up in a puff of wind, billowing high in the waterfall-churned air. As your eyes follow the yellow cloud gracefully tumbling back to earth, You recognize a patch of the very plants that you prepare every morning to keep your mother alive. You pause, watching the yellow pollen settle lightly onto the familiar leaves, kissing them with its golden glow. And suddenly, you see them start to tremble and hunch as though frightened or cold. The round green leaves shrivel and brown. Alarmed, you turn around and see in your wake a wide path of blackened, withered husks where lush, life-saving foliage stood only moments ago. Do you still want the device? Oh. <laughs> um, 
fuck. Okay. Excuse my language. I know I'm cursing a lot right now. Um, <laughs> this is just very distressing. I don't, I don't want to hurt the plants, <laughs> but I need the box. <laughs> um, can I try to lasso it with my rope again? Um, you Without can, but it looks, further? it looks uh, really far else all the plants are in the way, but you could give it a shot. I would like to give it a shot. Okay, please roll for physical success. Okay. Come on. Oh, oh that hurts so bad. <laughs> it's a seven. Okay, so you confidently, because you've had lots of practice with your rope right now, you yeah. swing it in the air, you uh, toss it toward yeah. the box, but it gets caught in the leaves. There's just too many plants in the way. Oh, no. And in fact, as you did that, um, your your um, arm brushed up against part of you that has the still that has the dry pollen on it, and a few clouds more billowed off of you, killing oh, no. a nearby section of plants. Now, um, where is the waterfall? Uh, the waterfall is directly behind the pedestal. It's on the other side of the chamber. Ah, oh, so I'd have to move towards it. Okay, um, can I step out of the room and use all of the water in my canteen to try to wash off? Okay, so you um, step back following the path of plants, yeah. and it generates a little more clouds of pollen, um, but luckily you're moving <laughs> very carefully. And um, yeah, and so <laughs> if you take the rest of your canteen, which is three quarters, um, you um, are able to dampen like most of the pollen on your body. There's still some dry pollen um, and the wet pollen, the liquid sand falls away easily, but the wet pollen is a little bit sticky and it's a uh, pasty, but, um, but it, um, it's not so powdery the way it was when it was coming off of you. Okay, um, can, I use, can I use like the materials from my bedroll to try to wipe it off? Um, you can, if you do, you end up getting pollen on the bedroll and spreading the paste around on your skin. It's, it's still there, but it's not quite as much. Okay, uh, I'm gonna try to wave around. Does any pollen fall off if I like start waving? Um, not when you are in the tunnel. Okay, great. Uh, all right, I'll try to step back into the room because I I, I apparently need the device, so. <laughs> okay, so, um, so uh, are you going to walk toward the device? I'll follow the path I had before, but I will. Is there any, is there any walking space in the room that isn't covered with plants? Um, you see where there once might have been a path, but it's become overgrown. So you suspect that no one has been tending the garden since the quiet came. Uh, so there's no way to get to the box without risking killing the life-saving medicinal plants. Oh, boy. Um, okay. But you do notice as you're standing in, the, um, in that area, um, the pollen, the little tiny clouds of pollen that are coming off of you are only coming from the places that are still dry. But where it was pasty, the pollen is sticking to you. Okay. Um, well, I guess I'm just going to have to hope that it'll be okay and that the plants will survive and I'll move trying to be as careful about where I walk as possible. Okay. So you walk forward and 
um, creating just small clouds, you know, um, which a lot doesn't even go past where uh, you originally killed them. Mm -hmm. um, but as you start to get into the part that you haven't traveled yet, um, any plants that brush up against your uh, pollen pasty skin shrivel. Um, but the path is much narrower than before. Like you can see it, it's much narrower, but you are killing a path of plants on the way. Um, but as you approach the stone pedestal, you take a closer look at the golden box on top of it. You can see that the box has a hinged lid that is fastened with a latch. The thick layer of patina and dust on its surface suggests that this must be some sort of ancient object that hasn't been disturbed for generations. Inspecting the lid of the box, you see that there are four blank spaces in a row, followed by a dark square set inside a circle, and then two more blank spaces. Can I put my fingers in them? <laughs> sure. Um, in the blank spaces? Yeah. Okay, so you touch the golden box, um, and you notice that a golden glow in the places where your fingertips make contact with the box, um, it's as though you had marked its surface with luminous gold finger paint. But before you could, can expect, inspect further, the glow fades away. Can I open the box now? Um, if you go to open the box, um, you see that it, it, or you feel that it is tightly shut. However, where your fingertips touch the box, there are temporarily glowing fingerprints. Hmm. But you definitely notice that um, there are the four blank spaces right. are in front of the dark square inside a circle, and then the two blank spaces are after. I mean, that, I mean, it's, it seems like a place where, I mean, I would put all of my fingers, like four fingers on each of the four blank spaces and then two thumbs on the two blank spaces. Well, you recognize the symbol. Right, I do. From? I, from the, from the letter. Um, it's, it was in the O of the one of many, um, or in the support. Do I... Can I take out the letter? Sure. Um, if you take out the letter and you hold it up next to the box, you do. You notice that the O um, in support has a dark square inside the circle. Yeah. Um, and you do notice that there are four letters in front of the O and two letters behind the O. Uh, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. So I'm going to put... Four fingers to the left of the O and two fingers to the right of it then. Okay, so if you do that, um, it glows under your fingers, but then fades away. I wish I were better at puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> I know, can you tell I've designed an escape room? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this is awesome. I feel kind of terrible that I'm struggling so much with this. Um, okay, hmm. Well, you seem, you understand that... Um, that the the word in the letter um, corresponds to the top of the box. You just need to figure out how to get it there. Oh, can I use my fingers to dr to write it literally? Just write those letters on the spaces. Okay, so you press your index finger lightly on the cool gold surface. It illuminates and warms under your touch. You feel slight tingling as you trace the inflections of an S in the first blank space. When you lift your finger and pause, you see that the glow does not fade. Um, if you carefully drag your, or you carefully drag your index finger along the box lid, spelling out the other letters. When you cross the final T, you pause, looking at the word support 
spelled out in glowing gold letters on the lid of the box. Then quietly, as though it was letting you in on a secret, the latch on the front of the box snaps up. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Would you like to open it? Yes. <laughs> All right. So with trembling pollen-covered hands, you carefully lift the lid of the box and a golden glow, golden light glows from within. It might be your imagination, but over the churning of the waterfall, you think you can hear an angelic chord echoing from somewhere in the chamber. Yeah. Inside the box is a flat rectangular piece of black stone. You pick up the device. It is cool and reassuring in your hands. It is heavier than it would seem based on its size. Except for one beautiful, oddly glossy surface, it looks surprisingly plain for such a precious object. You stare, blank you stare blankly into the distance as you contemplate how this device is supposed to connect you to the forum, and your eyes focus on the path of dead plants leading back to the open wooden door. Oh, um, can I try to touch the device to the plants? Just to um, see if anything happens? Sure. So um, you walk forward to the open wooden door mm -hmm. and you graze uh, nearby plants with the device, hopefully with the part without pollen on yeah. it. And, yeah, um, for sure. And you just brush the plants out of the way. Uh. Um, and yeah, so you're, again, issuing small clouds of pollen, but very little. Uh. And so the, the path remains, it gets a little bigger on the way out, but not much. Okay, uh, Katrin is going to turn around and say, I'm sorry, you will survive. And then she's going to get out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, you proceed back through the tunnel. You know where the, quick, the liquid sand is, so yeah. you know how to avoid that. Mm -hmm. um, you get up to the chamber with, um, where you had to make your choice, and you take one last look around. The iron grate, the polished wooden door, and the mine shaft look back at you, indifferent to the choices you've made. Taking a deep breath, you cross the space and begin your ascent to the surface. The way up is steeper than you remember, and you find yourself tiring quickly. In an attempt to distract yourself from the fatigue in your legs, you think back on the events that transpired in the garden, and a whole new kind of exhaustion washes over you. You imagine that you should be feeling triumphant, but instead you feel hollow. The image of plant after plant withering away keeps replaying in your mind, and you wonder what will happen to your mother and the other villagers now. An entire community of people relied on the life-saving growth that you destroyed. You made a choice for others that will echo long after the quiet is gone. As you continue the climb, the device in your backpack seems to weigh heavily on your shoulders as you consider the cost. Sure, you had to get the device in order to join the fight against the quiet, and you did what you came to do. But the people in your village, your mother, will they even live to see the end of the battle? The keeper said, it is that reverence it is that reverence you hold for all life that we find most worthy. Would they still say that about you now? Will they even accept you into their ranks if they find out what you've done? Stopping for a moment, you close your eyes as tight as you can and wonder, did I do the right thing? Your mind drifts to thoughts of the other people who were asked to join the keepers. You wonder if they had to face the same challenges you did, if they succeeded, and what sacrifices they had to make along the way. Guess you'll find out. Finally reaching the mouth of the cave, you step out and look up at the moon floating in the dark, cloudless sky. You take a deep breath of cool night air and let out a long sigh. Walking under the stars, you take out the device and look upon its odd, glossy surface, wondering to yourself if this thing was worth it. 
Looking down at it, you can see your moonlit reflection staring back at you. And then, in an instant, your reflection is gone as the unnatural black flashes to brilliant white and an invisible hand writes, Welcome to the forum. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wow. Um, that was astonishingly intense. Um, <laughs> Good. That means we succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> I, there, is, there is an alternate ending if you choose not to go and get the device. I didn't even know that. Like, I don't know why. I didn't even think of that as an option. Wow. That yeah. is... Um, that is very, that's very distressing. That was really, that was really fun. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> I'm so glad you enjoyed playing. I'm so Wow, what the, like, I don't even know what to do now. I feel like a terrible person for one thing. <laughs> um, well, I think it's all, it's all about having to make hard choices. I think that's how we yeah. are right now. You know, it's like, whether it's get things going, right? Restart the economy or, but possibly overwhelm the healthcare system and, and to even just regular, like, everyday life, right? It's like sometimes yeah. I wonder, should I be ordering delivery and supporting local restaurants, right? Especially for my friends who work at those restaurants um, versus like potentially exposing people in my building to more germs, you know, and, and everybody's just sort of trying to make their best guess, trying to, you know, keep in mind what they're trying to do. And, yeah. and it's just that the decisions we're all making aren't just for us, right? It's like we're we're choosing what other people may potentially be sacrificing. And so it's, it's, um, I know we tried to cover that in a, in a safer space, you know, and, and maybe yeah. help people talk about it. Um, it's, I think I'm going to be very interested in seeing what happens with the uh, part two when that comes out in July as well. Thanks. So yeah. thank you so much for creating this experience for us and for, thank you playing, for playing it with me and my, uh, very, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, heavy-headed way of like kind of barreling through things but this oh, was, it was really great it was so and fun really and, yeah yeah and so we don't know where um part two is going to be published yet but mm -hmm. um I'll make sure to put it on blast on social media so it's just oh, sure. at Risa Puno or my collaborator um A.S. Dobkin <laughs> yes uh make sure to uh keep up with them and um I will make sure to obviously post about it as well because I've now definitely have to be a fan. Uh, <laughs> is there anything anywhere else that they should look for you on the internet? Um, I'm uh, my website is just risapuno.com as well, and okay. um, yeah, I mean Onassis has um, part one, so by all means, go download, have fun, yeah. make hard choices, <laughs> make make all of the hard choices. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> well, thank you again, Risa, so so much for being here. This was a really really unique experience for me so I really appreciate getting to do this with you thanks thanks um, for having me <laughs> my absolute pleasure and uh thank you to all of our listeners as well for staying tuned uh here at gameplay radio on radio free brooklyn um I hope that you guys enjoy the rest of your afternoon and are staying safe and healthy and uh not being afraid to think about the hard things as well <gasps> goodbye <laughs>